Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast for Monday, November 22nd, 2021. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today? Well, Joe, we are going to have another conversation. I know everyone was probably expecting like um, some sort of radio play at this point, mm. but no more conversation. I think we're going to have a Lincoln-Douglas debate. Ooh, I am prepared to do it. I'm um, not. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to talk about a couple of things that are going on in our environment, respond to them, hopefully making sure that we're taking information in good faith, no matter where it comes from, and along the way, trying to keep ourselves and our audience adequately informed. Evan, I, I dare you to a game of Risk. I don't okay. know how to play Risk. Me neither. I think I think <laughs> we need like a board. That's basically for it. what I did earlier. Was... <laughs> um, geez, we're doing the intro. Um, yeah, you know, we know we don't know everything. We uh, try to approach this in a way that acknowledges our shortcomings and in our intellectual understanding. You know, we try to give credence to viewpoints that aren't ours because we realize that other viewpoints that aren't ours aren't ours have validity they can be valid we're we're not on the ivory tower we aren't the only uh we aren't the only brain swimming in the pond whatever that metaphor i'm trying to use is um <laughs> so with that evan what are we going to start off today with well today we've got an adequately informed movie review um, of the movie Mayor Pete, a documentary about the famous South Bend mayor turned presidential candidate turned first openly gay cabinet member in the Biden administration, Pete Buttigieg, a longtime it, favorite subject of ours. Yeah, is this a, is this a greatest hits? Or are we just throwing back to our early days? What's going on here? Well, there's a movie. The movie came oh. out. We watched the movie, the documentary. I watched it? I think. I mean, you said yeah, you I did. did. You could have lied to my <laughs> face, but... <laughs> yeah, I so... lied in the pre-show, and then I'm bringing you real truths in the actual show. <laughs> all right, so that's okay. I have 45 minutes prepared all on my own. Don't even need okay. to <laughs> All right, I'll go make a cup of coffee. All right, I said forty-five minutes. It would probably be closer to forty-five seconds. So uh, let's oh, okay. let's keep let's keep the banter going if we want this show to go longer than four minutes today. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah. So um, the the movie sort of traces his arc from newcomer candidate through gaining popularity in the polls and eventually, you know, dropping out and taking the role in the Biden administration and. My big overall takeaway is going to be that it kind of fails as a documentary because I don't think it's going to reveal too much new information about Buttigieg. I think if you like him, you're going to be like, oh, I still like him. And if you were kind of eh on him, you're still going to be kind of eh on him. I think the movie is just sort of a Rorschach, te Rorschach test for how you feel about the man himself and... A really good documentary should be able to provide general insight, no matter how you feel about the underlying subject matter. Yeah, I mean, it. it I I also just want to know who are these people who go out to start filming documentaries at 
the beginning of something that is probably just you know has the potential of just being nothing yeah like like who took on the project of making the pete Buttigieg documentary before he announced well it's jesse moss and he is sort of a guy who is very interested in sort of smaller political moments and he probably just kind of caught on to the Buttigieg moment which ended up being much larger he he filmed that documentary boy state about the texas boys state where they all get together you know illinois has one too and they they try to do a mock government over like a week of camp or something uh-huh. so that's just kind of where his interest lies i think that's very personal too man i would have been him as a filmmaker. if i had known about it you didn't know about it even i knew about no. it i just didn't want to go no i had no idea this is the yeah. first i've ever heard of this most states have one. Ohio has one, I know. Um, but the documentary, it's on Apple TV Plus right now. Boys State is specifically about the one in Texas. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. It just, I mean, like you said, the documentary didn't have, like, a grand message. It was almost like, oh, this is what was happening. Then You know? And I liked it because I liked Mayor Pete to begin with. So, so I was like... Oh, I, I get to see even more of this guy and, you know, feels more humanized. And But, but that's going to be my question point. is, does it feel more humanized? Because it feels exactly the same as the kind of robot guy that we got on the campaign trail. Like the whole time his advisors are yelling at him, like you have to show more emotion. But even sort of in his private moments or his camera asides, he doesn't really get more emotional. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that is just him. Maybe he's just kind of a stoic guy. But in that sense, I feel like we didn't really get that extra layer if it's there. Well, for me, I got that layer because I got confirmation that he's just that kind of guy. Like... You know, not everybody's uh, forthcomingly emotional and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's just, I don't know. And, you know, it was also just weird because I've realized since that, I don't know, arguing about individual candidates just often feels so weird because, I don't know, just so much gets wrapped up in it. And each individual is just, in, you know, has, has their own ball of stuff. Like, I think it's interesting the, you know, at one point, um, he Pete goes and does a forum with some faith leaders or, you know, um, some minority voices. And one guy asks him, "Is like, how can you come here as a, you know, why should I vote for you when the last 45 white men came and haven't been, you know, useful or, you know, 45 men, you, you know, I forget how he phrased it. And something like, why should we give white, a white man a 46th chance to help the black yeah. community? Something like that. Yeah, something to that effect. And, you know, Pete Buttigieg, I mean, I don't know how I would respond to that question. It's kind Um, of an impossible answer. Yeah, I mean, basically, you do what Pete did and kind of said, like, I I don't know, I don't want to be judged on, you know, I want to be judged by my character and not my skin color and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or you just completely punt and ignore the question but you know it was something about like 
I'm sure that guy who asked that question also, you know, if that's his question, then, you know, he probably also wasn't a massive fan of like Biden or Bernie Sanders or other white male candidates who were running in the field. But there was also something extra about how Pete was so young, like Biden and Sanders were old guys who are white holdovers from a different era of things, whereas Pete was the new guy, supposedly in an era where things are supposed to be new. But, you know, I think for some people, he became a symbolism of how things may not change in like, you know, if you look in respects to like racial politics and all that kind of stuff or the, you know, racial makeup of presidential candidates. So I don't know. That was just an interesting takeaway that I gleaned. Um, I, I do want to kind of jump onto this point of the whole racial dynamic and how that, tripped up the Buttigieg campaign a little bit. And here's where I want to, I do want to make the distinction between subject and film, because I don't think that in the film, Mayor Pete's treatment of race comes off negatively, but I do think the film kind of bungles how it handles that whole thing, because we have this officer involved shooting in South Bend. And the movie really is just sort of hyper-focused on not the the life of the man who was lost, but, oh, it's such a political obstacle for Pete. And, and it felt, it just felt a little wrong to me the way that it was, it was just all about how hard this was, what a hurdle it was going to be for him to overcome. Again, not, not against Pete. I think he handled it probably, you know, maybe he made mistakes, but I believe he was acting in good faith. But the filmmakers, I think, didn't give enough reverence to the underlying event, which was the death of a black man within that community. Yeah, you know, the way the film treated it was, um, you know, before that section of the movie, he rolled the dice and got, I don't know, a 12. And that meant that he had to go to political jail for a little bit. And I don't know, that's just about how it seemed like it wasn't like a huge um, humanizing moment about the actual tragedy. It was just, oh, Pete's having to do some tough politicking right now. Um, Yeah, and that just doesn't feel like a good way to talk about officer involved shootings to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it could have also been just like. We're not really here for the guy, but for the campaign. But it's about the guy. And it's like, I don't know. That's something that happened that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. It, it also, like, I don't know. The, the movie was like 90 minutes long. But it, I don't know. It felt like different sections. It just It just moved, like, trailblazingly fast through. Like, I remember the days when, um, you know, it was still the early days of the primary where different states were voting. And it seemed like there was a lot going on and there was, you know, huge minutiae day to day and of what was happening. And then on in the movie, it just kind of happens <laughs> mm-hmm. like 
it's just like up oh, this day voted and then up oh, this day voted and up oh, this day voted and like never got in the nitty gritty of that which is something i i would have liked but oops we lost nevada <laughs> uh, time to be over yep basically <laughs> well and then it i don't know it was just it felt like there was also very little in the like you know the the move to endorse biden which seemed very consequential from the outside but Mm -hmm. it it, you know the movie plays it off as just pete going i think i'm gonna you know we should talk with biden about me endorsing him and We'll yeah, see. Like, it'll be it'll be the most party unifying thing. But at the time, right, like that was before Super Tuesday. Bernie still was very much alive in the race. But but you're right. They just kind of present it as this inevitable march to everyone aligning around Biden. And I agree that it doesn't really represent what actually happened during that leg of the campaign. I mean, who knows? Maybe in the internal campaign, that's what it was like. But it sure did not feel like that on the outside. Mm-hmm. you know, as observers looking in. And and um, even if that is how it felt, as as a filmmaker, Moss should be aware of what the public perception was. And, you know, you can do some editorializing in documentary, explain why our conception is wrong or why you are choosing to present this specific construction of reality. Because, you know, even if documentaries are filmed in a real verite style, like every film, every time a human being puts their hands on any sort of narrative, it becomes a construction of reality, which is mm-hmm. in part a reflection of reality. But there still needs to um, there still needs to be a sense of justification for why these choices are being made. And I agree. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that comes across in the documentary at all. Yeah. Well, it may also just be a representation of Pete and his life in general, where I don't know. I I remember hearing stories. You you hear every once in a while a story of like a um, reality TV show that they want to film. But then the people who are in the film just kind of refuse to like you know, create drama or, you know, do any of the typical reality TV show stuff. And then they, it comes across as boring and then it, it, it doesn't become, you know, great television. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost feels like that with this campaign where it's like, I don't know, he's just a very mild mannered guy, just kind of doing whatever, just kind of analytically taking things as they come. And it's not always the most engaging, thrilling movie making narrative or, you know, instances. It's just just a guy doing his thing and not a ton of conflict points. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm trying to compare it to another really good campaign documentary that I've seen, which is knock down the house. Have you seen that one? No. Predominantly about the AOC campaign. That's good. That's on Netflix. You should check that out. I just think that that one does a much better job of kind of digging into its subject and trying to understand what motivates AOC, like as a character and as a politician in a way that we don't get from mayor Pete. There's this scene that I want to highlight because I think that it's, 
it's really kind of represents what I found off-putting about Mayor Pete, and that's sort of his his calculation and his ambition. There's uh, a point in time where he's about to go speak to a crowd in South Carolina, and Ch- Chaston asks him, you know, why are you here? And he says to be president. And then Chaston kind of really quick is like, yeah, but but why are you going to be president? You're going to help the people. And Pete's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to help the people. And I, I just think it's very telling that his response is like not very altruistic <laughs> in its initial state. Like he says, I just I'm here because I want to be president. And I think that that th- that moment accidentally captures what is really going on with Pete. I don't know what motivates him other than ambition. And I didn't really get enough other potential motives out of this film to effectively change that perception. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there was earlier on where he talked about his work in South Bend and how that was worthwhile. And I, and I, I don't know. I I mean, I bought into, I mean, again, because I've bought into him, I bought into the stuff that he said, it's like, you know, trying to give voice to the people who feel like they're unheard and, you know, having a great success, um, in this town and, you know, getting buzz about him. I mean, I guess it could be an opportunity. I mean, he seems to be interested in doing the work, not just being the guy, unlike, um, our last president who just really wanted to be the guy. That's fair. But, I, I want to ask you this, though, and I'm, this isn't trying to be a gotcha. I genuinely want to know what you feel, because I'm really conflicted about Pete's time in South Bend, because you're right. He, he talks the talk and he certainly made improvements to South Bend, but he he talks so often about how much he cares about the community. And in if his goal is to make people feel seen who are unseen, heard, who are unheard, do you think he does that more effectively as a cabinet as a cabinet member in Washington or as the mayor in South Bend, because for a guy who talked about loving South Bend so much, he sure did get out of there the second he could. I mean, I don't know if he got, I mean, he got asked to do a cabinet position and I don't know. He seems like the kind of guy who would probably be like, well, I don't deny a a position in the president's cabinet. Um, But I mean, the guy still chose to be there to begin with. I mean, again, some people see that as like calculating, like he went back to his hometown to um, do the the 2.5 units of loving your hometown that are necessary to prove that, you know, you you like it and then just got out of there as soon as he could. I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, it's just like. Some people see him as so calculating and, you know, things like like that moment you said where, you know, he you know, he just said, I want to be president. It's like, well, I mean, it's a candid moment behind the scenes. You know, if he had been asked by anybody else, he would give, you know, a more fluous answer. But like, you know, if I was, (laughs) you know, after a long presidential campaign and just kind of you know, doing all of that, you know, you'd give probably a silly little quip like that, that's small, but, and maybe like not the, all the ideals and maybe saying that even means that he wraps in all the ideals just innately because he's talking with his partner. So I don't know. I don't know what to say, but you know, it still felt to me like he, 
seemed to like his hometown, wanted to be there. He had to choose to come back there. And I don't know. I don't know how it, it continues. Um, you know, if that was his true guiding force, maybe it's a sense of, you know, maybe it's ambition. Maybe it's a sense of duty to the country. Maybe it's a sense of duty to the party. I don't know what it is, but I don't see it as incongruent. Well, I think that the, the conversation that we're having here is sort of indicative of the major weakness of the film. Like I said earlier, it's that we're not really getting any ground shattering new information on Pete. And therefore any discussion of the movie just becomes a discussion of, well, did you like him before or not? Which is ultimately the discussion that we're having. Yeah. Um, you know, there are other films like I'm thinking of minding the gap where there might be characters in the movie who don't come across as super sympathetic, but it still is interesting to try to understand their lives and their circumstances. And I don't think that same level of engagement is here in the Mayor Pete documentary. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't the curtain wasn't pulled um, on this whole thing. I mean, maybe the curtain pulled was to see that, you know, what we saw was what it was, but yeah, it wasn't a grand new revelation. It was, we shot this and now we're releasing it. <laughs> All right. So then here, here becomes the all important question. Do you think that Dairy Queen counts as date night? What? That That's just been the moment from the movie that's been memed is just, it's a really short scene where Chastin. I guess and I Pete, don't remember this. <laughs> Chastin and Pete are like sitting at a Dairy Queen and they like do a cheers with the ice cream. And then Pete just very meekly says, can we eat the ice cream before the chicken gets here? And then Chastin says like equally unenthusiastically, we can do whatever we want. It's date night. And so like people, have, <laughs> people have been making fun of that scene. I, oh, for okay. one, would love to go on a Dairy Queen date. I don't think there's anything wrong with eating Dairy Queen for date night, but it is a goofy ass scene. <laughs> yeah. And that's all there is to it. There's no greater context than what okay. I just described. Okay. You know, I think it also just, I don't know, like campaign movies, you just, again, see how kind of grueling these schedules are. Um, the, you know, the, you know, Pete's a young guy who's spry and like in shape and all that stuff. And even then, you know, getting worn down by, a campaign schedule, the likes that we do in a modern society. Um, it's just, so let's shorten the campaigning. You agree? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we don't need two years. Um, that's too much. Yeah. And we just end up, you know, you need to know important policy positions and you need to be able to vet really, um, bad things in someone's past, but we can do that. And maybe, six months four months we don't yeah. need the whole we don't need the whole fanfare around it. it it really is more for the political hobbyists and for infotainment and that's why we oh, do it yeah. right because people pay attention to it and in our attention economy interest drives ad revenue but well 
it's I mean, not. I don't think it's good for democracy to yeah. have lengthy campaigns. Well, no, and it it also just like <coughs> American people generally believe that if people are arguing that someone is like acting in bad faith, like mm-hmm. um, that there should be some sort of consensus and that everybody goes for it. And, you know, just seeing, I mean, it's not good for either party, just two years of essentially infighting, very public. Very public. I was going to say, yep, (laughs) very public infighting. Yeah, like if you do it, do it in the back rooms, whatever, make make it an interesting political piece. Yeah have one reporter in who's kind of a lower status and, you know, so nobody quite believes them fully or something like (laughs) that, you know, but no, it just becomes so public. But then like these fields, it's just so, I mean, they're everybody like, like the States had raced to be the first one to have their primaries in the schedule, Iowa and New Hampshire. Candidates similarly race to be the first ones to declare mm-hmm. and in this system because that also gives them a buzz. It gives them a little n- name recognition. And it also like gives the media something at a time that's kind of in a lull in uh, a presidency. Mm-hmm. So, like, after the midterms, I mean, in the 2016 schedule, I mean, I think Ted Cruz was the first one to announce. And he did it in at January 2015, almost two years before, you know, the voting actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I don't know. It's just so, like... Like, I remember our very impassioned um, argument about Pete Buttigieg, which ended up being all for naught, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like um, what what did that do? And, 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 you know, this was something that kept on coming up throughout the whole primary was like, we keep as a party arguing the minutia of our proposed healthcare plan when healthcare isn't even going to come up mm-hmm. for a vote. We did that last time, you know, we have, we have more things that we need to work on, you know, and we're, even if we do get to pass it, we're not going to be able to actually pass it. It's going to be through reconciliation or something. So it's like what, you know, we might as well all just say we're for better health care and then, you know, just go off and, you know, have some consensus. I don't, I don't know, just some base level, like better health care, lower health, you know, you know, health care costs, fewer drug prices. But then, you know, there were like, what, three or four debates where the opening salvo was health care. Mm hmm. And again, it just ended up, for the most part, not meaning anything like not within the scope of the presidency, not within the scope of the moment and not within the scope of congressional possibilities. 
So I don't know. It's just <laughs> so much infighting, so much anger and rancor. I mean, what's the point of it? And what's the point? Especially we have to remember that 2020 was especially bad because there were like 25 candidates like yeah. that. <laughs> that That's just absurd. Um, and it ended up being just the most recent Democratic vice president. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the um, one who the fundamentals would have said would have won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it just definitely feels like an exercise in trying to generate content for politicos. Well, and the parties we need the parties need to have more control over their process. Like let let us not forget that these primaries are not um you know directly mandated by the state. Mm-hmm. It's the individual parties who put them on and decide who's the slate of electors for each individual party. Um, for the most part, um, California has what they call a jungle primary where, um, on, on their primary day, um, people vote and then the two top two vote getters just go on to the general which, yeah, regardless of party. So yeah. two Democrats can get in, you know, just everyone runs and then. Yeah. yeah. But like how <laughs> I just don't get how the Democratic Party can allow 25 candidates for president to run, you know, like mm-hmm. or or, you know, gain prominence. You know, I'm there were more people who ran for or got onto ballots to be voted for for president but we don't talk about them but you know there's small time people who you know get enough signatures to get on the you know ballot in one state but it's just i don't know i mean this is a good time to bring it up because i don't know we're gonna be you know in another year or so we're gonna be starting this all up again um you know, that's time for the Republicans and whether Joe Biden says he's going to do one term or two terms. So I don't know. It's just, you know, it's, it's nice that we're not having to deal with it right now, but man, I think it really needs to change. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, that would kind of be up to the parties. Like you said, there's, there's nothing legislatively to do. Parties just got to rein it in. <laughs> or or a state can be like California and be like, all right, we're we're taking over the the party process. We're talk, taking over the primary process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yep. So Mayor Pete. Yeah, the dude. documentary was not super interesting. Really just is going to reflect how you already feel about him. Yeah. I just slammed my phone down on my desk. <laughs> yeah, damn straight. Yeah, damn straight. That was a, so, that was definitely a phone slam line. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Evan, what what else are we going to talk about today? Uh, let's talk about the history of gummy bears. Hmm. 
you know, you you threw me for a loop. I don't know a whole lot on this one. Um, me neither. So let's talk about PFAS instead. PFAS? What's a PFAS? So PFAS is one of a class of chemicals, man-made chemicals, that are used to prevent stuff from sticking. So all your non-stick pans. Yeah, all your non-stick pans, a lot of waterproofing material uses PFAS. Think Teflon. Yeah, Teflon. Um, You know, Teflon, nothing sticks to Teflon. Um, So that's... um, that's what PFAS are. But why why do we care about them so much right now, Joe? Well, so it has turned out that PFAS aren't great for people. Yeah, um, and also they never go away. <laughs> yeah. Their yeah, half-life so is, is like a thousand years. Yeah. So these chemicals that are used in the manufacturing of Teflon, um, they have some long word that i didn't try to pronounce before that p it's p f a s and they are not great for human beings they um they can you know i believe it's cognitive decline um they can create birth defects in kids Mm -hmm. um in you know when the mom has high levels of pfas in their system and it's this new or we're learning about the true dangers of it i mean it has a similar story to almost every toxin where like it it's made and then um they you know the industry that does the report you know uses it um gets some sort of report done on it on how bad it is and then the report's like it's bad yo and then the company is like, well, that's just a shame because we're not going to, yeah, we're not going <laughs> to change a whole lot. Um, and um, so we go on for years and years and years. And then, you know, in the cat and mouse game that is like environmental and safety regulations, eventually the government gets a hold of it. Um and you know realizes that it starts to be a thing but it's only just recently started to like really put some traction to this for getting things done i mean of course um you know this was initially brought to our attention because um john oliver on last week tonight did a segment on it he sure um, did which which blows everything up and yeah it's just it's so unfortunate to whenever you find out about a new one of these. And of course, as time goes on, they get more and more complicated. <laughs> um, because PFAS, to get, like the main way you get them is through the water supply. And it's actually quite difficult to get them out of the water supply. Um, using, you have to use some very, um, expensive filtering systems to get the PFAS out, depending on your water's chemistry. And it's just, (laughs) I don't know. It's just like, we, we keep going on in this world and finding out that there's some new bad thing 
that you know we've been doing an industrialized society and then it's like well fuck now we got to take care of it but then you also got to convince people that you got to take care of it (laughs) and you know that it's not just uh the world the way it is it's something you know new and you know urgent and 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 like evan said before they they call it a forever chemical like it takes about a thousand years for them to break down naturally. So it's not something where like you get a bad batch of PFA water and then you just kind of let it run for a while. And then all of a sudden you get a good batch. It's just the PFAs are in the water. That's, Mm -hmm. that's just like the, the, a state of being that it is. And something that John Oliver talked about was how widespread these are, like the people who were trying to research PFAS wanted to find a sample of clean blood that didn't contain any of the chemicals and they couldn't do it. Every person in the world has PFAS in their blood right now. The only place that they could find a clean blood sample was from preserved blood samples from soldiers in the Korean War. That yeah. was it. Yeah. Before everyone PFAS else has PFAS. Yep. Yeah. So it is so widespread and uh, you know, it, it's just, I don't know, it always gets I mean, in some ways, I can sometimes sympathize with the people who don't want to take environmental concerns so seriously because, oh my gosh, it's such a huge burden once you start worrying about it. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, I'm, I'm generally one of those people who's like, tap water's fine. You don't need to filter it. It's perfectly drinkable, fine water. And then there's like PFAS in it, which I'm not saying... Your Brita filter cannot, and I'm not saying you specifically. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying generally, your Brita filter. Stop can't talking shit about out. my Brita filter. Yeah, your specific <laughs> model, your shit Brita. <laughs> it it can't filter out PFAS. They're they're at a smaller granular level than that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In in again in the last week tonight segment. They showed one woman who had a PFOS filter and they're like four giant tanks that have their own room and require weekly maintenance from a trained technician. That's the level of filtration you need to get any headway on removing them from your home, at least. Yeah, exactly. Your home solutions, Um, which is (coughs) ideally you don't want to have to do home solutions because... Um, that costs a lot of money for an individual to do. You don't want to have to do that. So, Evan, do you want to lead me in? To Oh, yeah. Um, so, um, again, it's very difficult for individuals to attempt to solve this problem. But municipalities are able to address this on a somewhat larger scale if they choose to do so. So, uh, Joe, what is, uh, what's Galesburg going to do about this? Galesburg's doing something about it. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, it's actually interesting because um, it seems like they've actually started this process from before the John Oliver segment. So mm. um, ahead of the curve, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, we were ahead of we're 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 in a prime position right now to get this taken care of. Um, 
So um, the city of Galesburg just uh, recently had concluded a an initial study of whether we had PFAS in our water supply or not. And we did, like every water <laughs> supply, we do. We get our water from the Mississippi River. There are PFAS in the Mississippi River. Um, so um, I did not see what our exact levels of PFAS are, but um, you know, judging that action is being taken, it's at a high enough level that um, we're doing something about it. So um, the city of Galesburg actually at the last city council meeting that I was at um, approved an agreement to do the study of what type of filtration device um, is needed for uh, to remove the PFAS from the water supply. Under my understanding is um, there are kind of three different systems that are available right now. Um, I do not know the specific details or what they're called because it's all very technical to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of them, it just sounded like they were going to pour it over some charcoal, but I know that's not what was going to happen, <laughs> but that's what it sounded like whenever they mentioned it. Just getting um, ready for the cookout. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> or there's not going to be any more cookouts because they need all the charcoal for, <laughs> for, for the water supply. Um, the gas stoves just don't do as good a job. You know, it's just different. It's different. I, I I agree. I don't actually have a preference. <laughs> I, yeah, it's different. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it, it's nice to see Galesburg actually being ahead of the curve on some things. You know, um, we as a city have had issues in the past with um, contaminants in our water. Um, we were one of the cities that <clears throat> had uh, lead in our water. Still, um, you know, replacing lead pipes has still been a um, it's a yearly priority for the city with a, you know, an amount of money set aside to do, you know, however many lead pipe replacements, mm -hmm. um, which is still ongoing because the housing stock in Galesburg is all pretty old. So, you know, they all use old building supplies. Mm -hmm. um, but no, it's uh, good to see that. We're on the forefront. Um, we're looking to which kind of filtration device we will need. And like I said earlier, I guess it apparently depends on what the chemistry of our water is, like the pH balance and other, um, you know, trace chemicals or minerals or what have you in the water. So, um, but we are in a prime position because, um, because of the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the build back better bill um, there's a lot of money um, coming from the federal government out there for water supplies mm. and um, for there's a lot of stuff out there for specifically lead lead pipe abatement so that'll be a great thing to get money for the city but then also uh, there's money for PFA. Uh, filtration and since we're at this stage in the process as a city we'll be in a pretty prime place to get some of that money for it so it's exciting times yeah my parents house is super old and i know not too long ago they had someone from the city come to like inspect their pipes like to see are you gonna have to rip all these out and then it turned out nah your pipes aren't aren't lead so it's fine yeah 
Well, and even then it's like, there's some like lead pipes on their own aren't inherently horrible, but they have to degrade to some level where the lead starts getting into the water. Mm-hmm. Like if you if we all had new brand new lead pipes in our houses, uh, we wouldn't have an issue with lead in our water. But as they degrade over time, then the lead starts kind of letting in. Um, so that's that's the real issue. But so it's uh, it's uh, the local angle. It's nice to see that um, we're we're taking this as an issue and we're actually ahead of the curve because I think a lot of municipalities are waiting for um, the EPA to come and say what's an acceptable level before they take any action. Um, But Mm -hmm. we're being proactive here and um, deciding, you know, hey, we're going to do this with our water supply, Um, you know, hopefully to... Um, counteract the um, you know the image of having bad water from the lead the lead issue earlier yeah so and and, you know it was also interesting because it wasn't like the lead issue wasn't for the entire town like it was like in flint it was just like some areas which doesn't make it better yeah it's not great still (laughs) yeah well, because um, every time they, well, not every time, but they had replaced a lot of the pipes um, in the city, uh, like the main lines and stuff, but some were still old, um, you know, lead pipes and some, you know, houses have lead pipes. So it's not everybody's water. It's not like it got contaminated before it got to the tap. Or, you know, just went out to the city like it was in Flint. It was mm-hmm. just, you know, maybe this block, the water main was lead or mm-hmm. something like that. So it was slightly different. But yeah, again, still not great. I'm not trying to say we're uh, doing great on this. <laughs> um, but I'm saying we're not the worst. Yeah. And, and they're working on it. They're being like you said, they're being proactive. Do you know, you said that this kind of predates the John Oliver thing. Do you know if this arose from a citizen complaint is this something that the council just had i i think read this, on i think this arose from um within the uh the professionals in the city gotcha. city works department um you know i i have been finding that um the city council Um, just takes a lot of the word of the professionals who run the city. Um, The city, yeah, yeah, and it's good. It's fine because um, the uh, city council and mayor are not full-time professional positions. They are more advisory, so it makes sense Mm -hmm. of why uh, the city professionals bring this stuff forward. And it's good that they're listening to it, so... Um, you know, I'm happy. <laughs> Are you telling me that maybe the experts know something about their subject field? Yeah, and it's good. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think I'm a free thinker, so that means I just discount experts immediately. Yeah. Well, and also from what I've learned about 
or a little bit I've learned about municipal financing of things is that if a city wants to take on a capital project like that, like installing a PFAW filtration system on their water supply, it's not actually too hard to get the funding for that. Like, sure, you'll be on hook for the debt, but um, it's actually not super hard to get the debt for it. So um, it's just about choosing whether you want to do it and maybe seeing that, you know, interest rates are super low right now and um, the coming environment is showing that, you know, there may be federal dollars available for first comers. So, hey, we're there. We're right there. We could be. Could be right there. We could be right there. I mean, I'm right here. You're in Indianapolis. I don't know what they're doing with their water supply. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Some people are afraid of the water here. I'm not. I lived in Toledo, and that was really bad water. Not quite as bad as Flint, but like Flint was a very short drive from Toledo. So, you know, <laughs> we we didn't feel super confident about it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just drink tap water here, but you yeah, know, still have PFAS. I don't. I'm not, I'm not the one who was special and avoided them. Yeah, yeah, you weren't. You weren't uh, not patient zero. You were zero patient. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it ironic that um, the chemical that makes things not stick to pans sticks around with us forever? Yeah, it sticks in everything. Well, yeah. and we also didn't mention it earlier, but. It accumulates in your body. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, I don't know, I'm going to I'm going to use a drug analogy because this seems to be something. But like if you drink alcohol and you um, get drunk, but then like test for alcohol in your body, like two days later, you're not going to find anything because all the alcohol is gone. But if you smoke marijuana um and get high one day you can still test like two weeks later and still find remnants of the marijuana that you smoked pfas are like that except like way longer except for yeah pretty much forever (laughs) yeah like you know forever and definitely forever within the context of a human life Mm -hmm. um so it's not like alcohol where you know you may be having PFAS, but if you eliminate it from the system, then they all just flush out of your body. It's um, you accumulate, you pick up PFAS over time and um, they just stay in your body for the most part. Mm-hmm. So not great. Not great. Um, and it's unfortunate that we keep piling on the doom of the world, <laughs> but there's also like nothing you can do about this. Um, just hope that your municipality does something about it in the water <laughs> supply. So, yeah. Evan, you got any more thoughts you want to share? Nah, man. PFAS. We did it. We talked about it. We did it. it. We did it. We talked about it. Um, so, we'd like to thank you all for listening. We would like to thank Anthony Hish for the music. Um, but my name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been adequately informed. Da-dun-dun. Da-dun-dun.